We've been talking for a while now about the necessity of gender-affirming care for people, especially young people, who identify as something other than cisgender men or women. Gender-affirming care saves lives, and teaching young people about it not only validates the feelings they have about their identity, but goes a long way toward preventing bigotry from their peers. And bigotry against gender-diverse people is all too prevalent in our societies and in our governments, and our hope is that in continuing to talk about gender diversity, science, and best practices, we can continue moving this conversation in the right direction. My name is Eric Bowman, I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. You may or may not be familiar with the sport of pickleball. I'm certainly not. My only real exposure to it is through the photos posted by my friend Sarah on her Facebook page as she has embraced the sport and become pickleball passionate well into adulthood. I didn't think I'd ever be talking about pickleball on the CPA podcast, but then I also never thought that the sport would become a focal point in the bizarre culture war we see concerning transgender people competing in sports. And yet here we are. I think I can understand why people believe things that aren't true when it comes to gender diversity in general. Uh, one, it's likely they've never met an openly transgender person, and two, there's very intentional and directed campaign coming from online trolls and elected officials to feed them false information on the subject. What I can't wrap my head around is how you can go from believing something false to specifically attacking people, either online or in person. That's a leap into hatred that I have a hard time understanding as it ends up being real people with full lives and thoughts and feelings who end up being on the receiving end of that bullying. To that end, today I want you to meet one of those real people, my friend Sarah. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Weiss from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am a rising up-and-comer in pickleball. A rising up-and-comer or already an established star. I think you've won a few tournaments, have you not? <laughs> I have. I am a national amateur level uh, champion at, at a low level. This is not um, like when I played at the nationals last year, I won in a 3.5 division gold medal, which is not very high. So when people say, oh, she's a national champion, I mean, I'm not I'm not a high level national champion. But yes, I am an amateur level national champion. Excellent. Okay. And I'm hoping you can explain a little bit about pickleball to me because let's start with an overview of what pickleball is. I wasn't super familiar with it. I always thought it was just tennis on a half court, but having seen the photos that you post of it uh, with the paddles and the ball being different, it's quite different than tennis. It just happens to use the same net. Am I accurate in thinking that? Yeah, I mean, the net's a little bit lower and pickleball, it's such a provocative sounding sport. <laughs> <laughs> One of the main moves in, in pickleball is dinking, dinking uh, in the kitchen and, and banging and driving. It's It can be sound very provocative. But yes, it is basically uh, a, a hard paddle and a wiffle ball. And, you know, when I first picked up these two things, I thought this was the stupidest thing. Like I pick up the stupid paddle and I hit the stupid wiffle ball and I fell in love. And it happens to so many people. It's, it is addictive. And I don't know why. I think it's just because <clears throat> anyone can play it. You, you meet all walks of life, all ages, basically you and your partner, you can play singles too, but as a doubles team, you and your partner start from the back and you serve the ball and then you get into a rally back and forth. And the goal is to actually play soft and strategic 
give unattackable shots. And when someone pops up the ball, you put it away. That's basically the the short form of what pickleball is. Tell me about this tournament that you just attended. Uh, the most recent one, I think, in the States, right? I mean, this must be a fairly large international tournament. Uh, or are you like a special representative from Canada who gets to go there because you're a 3.5 level champion in Canada? Uh, what is this tournament? So this was the U.S. Open for Pickleball Championships. So it is the biggest pickleball tournament in the world. In fact, there were 3,000 registrants who played and 40,000 people through the gate. So big tournament. To get in, I had to win a lottery. So there are people who earn their way in. That was not me. I had to put my name in and hope that I got picked. And I didn't get picked on the first round. After the first round and they found out, you know, who was going to make it and who wasn't, they had a second round and luckily I got picked to go play. So uh, as a 3.5 national champion here, I actually went there and I played in higher divisions, including 4.0 and 4.5. So uh, just for context, after 5.0, you start to compete in pro events. So at 4.5, my next step would be 5.0. And after that, it would be competing in pro events. So does that mean that if you were to attain the level of 5.0, you could start making some money at these events by winning tournaments? But before that, you can't? Yeah, well, there it depends on the tournament. Sometimes they'll hold uh, prize pools for some of the lower levels, like 4.0 and 4.5, something like you might win $100 or something like that. But yeah, once you're at 5.0, the, the prize pools typically start to raise. And then at pro, if you're winning top pro events, the prize pots become in the tens of thousands for some of these top pros that they're winning. Okay. So this isn't like the U.S. Open in golf or tennis or something where you have to win qualifying tournaments in order to qualify for the U.S. Open and then you get that invitation. It's really a, a merit-based thing plus a lottery among those who are also meritorious of being in that lottery. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and for pros that have not established themselves in the pro level, there are qualifying events at the tournament. So you can apply to play in a qualifier. And if you qualify, you get out of the qualifier. Then at that same event, you can play in the pro division. Okay. And so in the lead up to this event, you discover that somebody somewhere has discovered that you were born a man and is using that as some sort of culture war issue going into the U.S. Open Pickleball Championship because, God forbid, on the 3.5 level uh, grouping, that there is somebody who might be taking away a spot from somebody else, right? Tell me how that first came to your attention and what exactly transpired there. Uh, if you can walk me through that from the beginning, that would be great. Sure. So I am a sponsored athlete for a company called ProLite. And not only that, but they offered me a team director position because of the energy that I bring. And, and I'm a life coach as well. So I am very business oriented and I help people with their mindset. So they offered me a position as their team director. And as such, I had access to their social media page. Now, I don't handle their social media, but a message came through and I don't usually open all their messages, but a message came through and I saw a preview of it saying, how can you endorse dot, dot, dot. So I was like, I got curious and I opened it 
And it was someone who was complaining about me based off of a post they had just found on Twitter. So I clicked on that and my goodness, (laughs) this group outed me in three to five posts. I don't even remember now, but there was a bunch of posts about me and using very discriminative terms against me with a lot of people sharing and talking about it. It went what I would consider semi-viral and it was dark. It was nasty. It was mean. It was uneducated. It was ignorant. And I don't say that in a mean way. I say as in people don't know what they're talking about and people are entitled to their opinion. I'm okay with that. But what was spewed was much more than just opinion. A lot of people had a lot of hate for someone they didn't even know. Anyways, it put me in a bit of a dark place um, at that point when I found out about it. And if you know me, if you ever, ever meet me at a tournament, You will see I'm one of the most bubbly, vibrant, active, excited puppy dogs there. I'm like, meet everybody. (laughs) I take pictures with everyone. I'm just like jumping for joy to be there. And that day that I went to the tournament, and the only reason I went there was because as a coach, what I tell people is just show up. So I told myself, just show up. And I showed up and typically, you know, I'm looking around, I'm every five seconds, I run into somebody I know because I kind of, again, I'm, I stand out as someone very excited. And this time I went there and I had my eyes down and I didn't want to look at anybody. I just, I wanted to be invisible for one of the first times in my life at a tournament. And what I experienced, and this is what's so beautiful, you don't have to let what's going on in the background affect your actual reality. Because what happened in Florida, and a lot of people said, well, Florida's this and that, Florida's that and whatnot. But in that tournament, I experienced nothing but incredible energies, love, support, people coming up to me wanting to take pictures. I was like a bit of a celebrity there. But I expected, I had all these what ifs based off of all this social media stuff. What if I get confronted? What if someone wants to hurt me? What if someone confronts me and my partner? What if this becomes really awkward? What if, what if, what if, what if? And all that mental noise was not my reality. But on Twitter, it was a very... Very loud reality. I think that's kind of the amazing thing, right? You've posted about this on Facebook. Actually, I want to go back a little bit. The first time I met you, uh, you were working at a tattoo shop here in Ottawa, wearing like a full length, like ball gown uh, to work reception at the uh, tattoo shop. (laughs) And we're uh, the same sort of personality, right? Very uh, bubbly and energetic. I think you bring that to all the things that you do. Um, And so... Over the course of time, we've corresponded on Facebook. Recently, you've been talking about this issue on Facebook and specifically your involvement in this tournament and the hate you're receiving. And I've seen people on your own Facebook page, presumably, you know, people who you are Facebook friends with, really putting out a lot of this hate themselves. Not maybe as bad as on Twitter, but it certainly exists there as well. And I think Facebook can be a toxic cesspool at times, but it is nothing like what Twitter is today. And you did something that I still am trying to wrap my head around. You created a Twitter account for the first time uh, in response to this, like you voluntarily went on Twitter in order to respond to this. What was the thinking there and how was that experience? I mean, how is it different from the one platform to the other? Obviously in person, people embrace you. They uh, know you, you're somebody in the pickleball world that they're uh, familiar with. and. And so they were quite supportive. But Twitter is a different world right now that I can't 
really wrap my head around how the vitriol that is on that platform. How did that go for you? And why why choose to make a Twitter account on purpose? <laughs> well, I mean, the whole thing behind this is it's a lack of education. Not many people get the opportunity and the blessing to know someone like me. <laughs> Once you do know someone like me, and I'm not just saying me, you learn a lot. And not everyone has that opportunity. So I've been taught by some really incredible mentors and, and my mother to hold compassion and space for people who don't understand you. So my my meaning behind creating that account and, and writing a response was, and I'll, I'll back this up by saying, it's a very awkward place to be as a woman being thrown under the bus by women. Mm-hmm. I stand for and with women because I am a woman. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm I'm exactly like all the other women. I'm, I am a little different. And that's okay. All women are a little different. We're born with different things. But what I wanted to do was show them that I actually stand with women. And even the ones who are so against me, the ones who had reasons for what they believe in what's fair, right, and wrong, I stand with them too. That's a very weird place to be. And I have to ask myself, because I know where I belong. I belong playing with the women. The question at, at the heart of this, or what they're saying is at the heart of this, is what's fair? Do I have natural born advantages over the average woman? I'm five ten and a half. You can call that an advantage, but guess what? Many female athletes I play with and against are taller than me. They're stronger than me, faster than me, have quicker reflexes than me. Many women are. So. Is this really about what's fair or is it a deeper issue? What I wanted to do was tell them, I see you and I respect your mission. And if you're ever open to it, I would love to have an open conversation about this so I can educate. So that was the point of me doing this. And I've had many of these conversations and podcasts. And last night, for for instance, I was on a podcast called the uh, Pickleball Happy Hour. And it was more of a closed um, environment where it's all for women. And what's amazing about this is I saw a couple women who popped on that I had recognized from my posts who disagreed about me playing in women's events, but did it respectfully. And that I have so much respect for. I mean, you and I have had disagreements on things, but look how how we're still friends, even though we disagreed. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is possible in this world. It is. It is. So she, one of these ladies, she comes on, she starts asking questions similar to what she was commenting about her opinion. And the good thing here is that I added her as a friend on Facebook once I saw her comment and how she responded. I showed her some support on her post. So when she asks these questions, she was asking about what I believe is fair and advantages and all this stuff, the the typical thing that's being talked about. And, you know, it's obvious to many people, especially when they meet me, that I'm not the biggest, strongest, fastest one out there as far as females go. In fact, you know, there's a TikTok with this lady who's six foot five, uh, wears a size, what is it? 13 or 16 males shoe and could literally play a linebacker in the NFL. I mean, it's not about size advantage and stuff. So I asked, what really is it that bothers you? What makes you uncomfortable about it? And, you know, the ladies were a little bit like, that is a very good question. It really is. What is it that's making you uncomfortable? And I I proposed that, could it be that you believe that a male is trying to take away from the women? If you see me as a male, then yeah, you will, you'll probably feel that way. But when you understand that I am a woman and that I stand for women, and when you see me do well, I rise with women 
and it is women that are rising, then things change. And they all they all agreed. They're like, you're right. And after that call, this particular woman sent me a message. And amongst really nice things, she also said, I cannot wait to see you go pro. And I have a feeling that you're going to be one of my favorite women pro. Oh, that's really nice. You know, I at the same time, you can't sit down with every single person in the world who has these Thank views, you. which would be wonderful if we could, right? And hopefully conversations like this will uh, reach people who otherwise might not be, be reachable. I think a lot of the pushback on this, though, is that people imagine this situation where uh, somebody can pretend to be transgender in order to get some sort of leg up on the competition, right? That this is something that they will invent, right? It's the same argument that people have with bathrooms. Someone's going to pretend to be a transgender woman so that they can use the women's bathroom and, I don't know, do some nefarious things that I don't know. Predator, what those might be, male right? predators. Right, exactly. You know, and I don't think anybody who believes that really understands what it actually means uh, in, in a broader sense, right? The, the gender diversity conversation hasn't really reached that person. And they're maybe imagining, I think, from their own standpoint, well, if I wanted an advantage, that's a way I could go about doing it, where I don't think I don't think there's been any case of that in the history of the world, right? Uh, I, I may be wrong unless you've heard. Well, of not that I've seen. No, correct. Yeah. And not that I've seen. And, and that's why they do have policies in place where you have to be on HRT for a number of years. I know I don't know every policy for every sport and every college and, and all that stuff. But in, in most places that I've seen, you have to have a minimum of a certain amount of time on HRT, hormone replacement therapy. And what happens with HRT is your muscles diminish. Everything that that is built within the human body is built by hormones. You you can right. talk about biology, you can talk all, about all that, but the the biology leads to what hormones are produced. Testosterone is a catalyst for building massive muscles and stronger bones. Now, what I've experienced in about 10 years of hormone replacement therapy is a massive diminishing of my muscle mass. Massive difference. You would not recognize who I used to look like to now. I can I used to be able to do 70 push-ups in one go. I can barely shake out the 10th now. Huh. 10 tops. I can't even do a pull-up anymore. You're not selling pickleball as a really high-intensity sport now if you can only do 10 push-ups, you know? <laughs> well, that's that's another point here. So pickleball is very special. The top woman is a short 16-year-old girl. She's the top. She and, and she is incredible. She's fast. She's strong. She She beats everybody. She can beat most men in this sport, including some of the top men. So, I mean, pickleball is not a great sport for this conversation to even happen because strength and, and speed and all that stuff is, is not as important as just playing smart pickleball. A lot of like what I was saying in the beginning is about creating unattackable balls, which means being gentle, being gentle on the ball, having right. st strategy. So, I mean, this sport really isn't one that should be having this massive movement and kickback. It really it, it's irrelevant how strong and fast someone is. But I will tell you this, when I play against the men, I can't keep up. They are stronger. They are faster. When they attack the ball, I don't have the quick reflexes I, I could. So this is my stance on things with pickleball. I love the game so much. I have a dream of going pro. 
but I'm not going to fight. I don't want to fight and fight and fight. I just want to play pickleball. I love this game so much. It is something I've had, I have so much passion for, and I've never felt this way about any activity in my life. If the world tells me I have to go play in a men's division, first of all, I'll be the cutest man on the court. <laughs> but <laughs> my dream of going pro would be pretty much gone. And so be it. If that's what has to happen, it would be very unfortunate, especially because I belong with the women and women I've competed with agree. That's why you see them in the comments saying, I will continue to gladly compete against you. But if that's what has to happen, I, I'll just accept whatever I have to do. I will continue to share my story and share my message and, and show people that what you think and assume about transgender people in sports most of the time is very, very wrong. Yeah, and it's such a weirdly murky area too. I remember maybe a decade ago, maybe even longer ago than that, there was an athlete named Castor Semenya who was in the Olympics. And the Olympics, as you said, hormones, right, create most of the abilities that we have in one way or another. And they did a test on her after, I think she won a bronze medal in a track and field event. And they did a test and said, oh, no, your hormone levels are too high. And they told her, you're actually a man, which came as a big shock to her, presumably, since she had lived her entire life from birth as a woman. Oh uh, no, God. no, no. We have determined for you that, in fact, you're a man. And they took away her medals, right? And it was all based on this level of hormones that she had oh in her body, God. which was, right? And so there's nothing that has nothing to do with somebody transgender it has nothing to do with gender identity it has everything to do with this arbitrary uh sort of metric that they have in order to determine whether you qualify to participate in the olympics at all right and even for men right they test your hormone levels in case you're adding extra hormones or i don't i don't know the biology of it at all right but you can be you know stripped of your olympic medals as a man if you have too many hormones because you've taken them in order to enhance your performance, right? It's so murky and there's no way to determine this in any way for anybody. And so it seems like, as you say, pickleball is a very odd spot for this to become an issue, but there are people out there who are really looking to make this an issue in every way and every possible circumstance that they can, right? I think you recently shared an article with me where you know, they're talking about a woman who completed a marathon and she's transgender. Like this is really upsetting. Well, it turns out that her participation in this marathon meant that some deserving woman somewhere finished 7,440th instead of 7,439th, which is where she would have been had this other, right? People the who headline been, said transgender woman beats 40 or 14,000 other racers. Right. That was the headline, but they didn't mention that she got what seven thousand something place. Right, right. Like, and she got a participation medal that they wanted they her wanted to give to back. Take that from right. It it Unbelievable. is It is very bonkers, and I like. I feel like you know, bringing this to pickleball is akin to bringing it to curling. Like, right? right. Is there really that much of an advantage? And even if there were, like, how do you determine it? It's such a it's such a weird tempest in a teapot, it seems to me. And I will say, you know, I've known you for several years and I've never known you to in any way 
so advertise, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. I've never known you to tell people uh, that you were born male or that you've done hormone replacement therapy for years. You've always identified only as a woman. You've told me you don't identify as a trans woman. You identify as a woman. I'm wondering how they even found this out to begin with. I, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything online that would lead them to know this in the first place. How do they even determine this? So, I mean, I've done podcasts and shows where it does come up and I, I've written a book, not about it, but about my life. So I did write this book called Not Born This Way. And in it, I talk about the mountains I've overcome that have helped me become a, a happy person because I used to be in a toxically negative life. My, I was toxically negative. I blamed everything about the failures of my life and why everything was so wrong in my life on the world, on God, on the people who turned their backs on me. My The point of me writing that book was to show people that you can rewrite your reality and stop letting your past dictate your future, your past limitations and disadvantages. You don't have to identify with those. Uh, I had what I considered for a long time, a disadvantage and limitation based off of this gender thing. And I turned it into something beautiful. I created a miraculous life with my children, with my friends, with my accomplishments. I've, I've, I am now a speaker across North America. Uh, this book did very well and became a number one bestseller. I've done a lot of incredible things in my life because I let go of what I thought were limitations and disadvantages. So I did write a book on that. And in it, it does talk about my past. So I, I highly doubt one of them read my book, but there might yeah. might have been <laughs> like a clipping or something. So like it, the, it is the out there because I'm not. Yeah, it, it's out there in a way that like I'm not ashamed of my past. I don't hide it intentionally. I just don't define myself by it. I don't define myself by what has happened long ago. I've been in this journey of transition for almost 10 years now. My past is my past. Who I am has nothing to do with a, a label like transgender. And when I was a kid growing up, and I could go on and on, and I've done a live video on my Facebook, and if anyone wants to find it, there's a video where I go into it, 30 minutes, talking about my background, my history, and why I felt the way I did, and it's happened since I was born. What happened that that made me feel this way? I never thought, I want to be a transgender woman. Never right. once did I ever think, I want to become a transgender woman. No, I always felt and identified with women, with the girls as a as a little boy, I felt like a little girl. I would hang out with girls and I, I identified with them. I didn't identify with the boys. I was different than them. I walked differently. I spoke differently. And I never in my mind, I didn't even know what transgender was until I was in my 20s. Right. I found out, I was like, oh, there's other people like me. I'm not, I'm not totally crazy and bonkers. <laughs> so what you're saying is this wasn't just some long, decades long scheme to become good at pickleball. That's, that wasn't what this was all about. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> this isn't the way that you've thought about yourself or defined yourself, right? You define yourself as a woman, an entrepreneur, a successful uh, author and, and businesswoman and, and pickleball player and so on, right? But all of a sudden, now you have to sort of defend in a way who you are. Somebody else has decided, no, no, I want that to be the thing that defines you, right? I, I want you to be defined by this intentionally misgendering all of these things that, that people do online, on Twitter, on the rest of it. How was that for you? Did that take you back to a dark place? Or were you able to sort of go, okay, I've moved past that. I can ignore this and hope that people who I know will embrace me regardless. 
I mean, what is that like for you? Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind. It's been tough to to experience again. So it did bring me back to a place where it's like, you know, as soon as I came out and told the world, it was very nerve wracking. I lost a lot of friends in my life and it was very PTSD ish of that. I, I felt a lot of past trauma of the people who were turning their back on me and who wanted me to hurt and were speaking bad things behind my back. I felt that pain and it did put me in a dark place for sure. But because I've been on this journey for 10 years and I, and as a life coach, I was able to, you know, I guess we'll say rise above it and to have compassion for the people who just don't understand because they just don't know. So something I also do know is mental health is a real thing. And a lot of people who are bashing me and, and everything that they're doing on Twitter and wherever, they're dealing with their own stuff too. And I have compassion for that. And as much as some of it is really nasty and they don't even know me, I have compassion for them. I have understanding for why they feel the way they do and why they believe what they believe. So I, I can, if I want to, be hurt and offended and all that stuff. But I also, if I want can take this opportunity to educate and to just share my story. I'm not here to be a doctor or scientist and, and tell people to bend to my will. What I do want to do is I want to share my story and I want to have the voice that hopefully can expand someone's perspective in a way that makes them go, huh, it's not exactly how I thought it was. You're probably more evolved than I am there in a way because <laughs> I see this stuff and I think, and, and I, I truly do have compassion for the people who have bought into this narrative, right? I mean, there's a very specific group of people trying to create this narrative online, right? And and it comes down from the top. Lots of governments, especially in the United States right now, but also in Quebec and, and in Canada, are trying to pass laws that make it impossible for kids to get gender-affirming care, to actually, you know, exist as transgender individuals as people who identify as a gender that they weren't born with and obviously i think and we're we've been talking about this at the cpa for a long time how much harm and how much damage that does to those youth so that narrative is out there and i, I understand people buying into it it's it's easier i think for people to imagine that there is a gender binary i fit into that gender binary therefore those who are outside it are deluded and they don't understand the world but when you take it from believing something that's erroneous, right, because you believe something that's wrong, maybe you can be educated. Maybe you can be moved toward learning what's what's actually true. But to then take it to a point where you're spewing the kind of hatred that what we see toward people that you've never met, that's a level further than I can wrap my head around. It's one thing to not believe that transgender people are real and a lot of people have that belief it's another to specifically go out of your way to bully them and to make their life as difficult as possible that's the step that i can't wrap my head around well something i've learned is what you resist persists so people want me to fight right now they want me to argue and, and even my friends like you know you've got to fight this and like i'm not gonna fight it i'm gonna share my story with love and compassion and when these people who are so against me are seeing that I'm not in this fight or flight mode, they begin to like me and they begin to listen. They begin to see that I'm not here to have them bend to my will and I'm not what you know some, some media is putting out there and portraying me as. A lot of people have this idea and notion of what they think that I am when they realize that I'm not. 
I'm not the devil. I'm not some bad person. I'm not someone who's trying to take advantage and hurt women when they realize that. And then I'm just like them. That's when I'm noticing people opening up their minds and, and having the ability to shift their perspective. I'm not here to fight because what you resist persists. And that's why all this fighting against the the transgender movement, not movement, cause, not it's not even a cause. It's a, it's a people. This fight against them is causing them to stand up. And there's a lot of this, this movement against the government saying, hey, stop. Stop what you're doing. This is not right. And it's not just from anyone who's part of the LGBT and queer community. It is allies, it's people like yourself who are like, this isn't right, who are standing up. So what you resist persists. And I'm not going to resist their hate because it will pers- persist if I resist it. That seems like a very well-adjusted way uh, to look at it. And uh, I appreciate the perspective. Now, tell me about the U.S. Open itself. How did the tournament go? How did you finish? How did you feel about your performance in the U.S. Open Pickleball Championship? I laugh because, you know, this whole Twitter movement, they're they're acting like I'm going in to just dominate the competition and be this like mini Thor. And I didn't do that great, to be honest. Uh, I won some matches. <laughs> we did all right. I had... I, the main thing is I had a blast. I had a, an incredible time playing this sport I'm passionate about. But no, I didn't get on. I didn't win a medal. I won some matches that I'm very proud of myself for. I put it all out there, even though I was dealing with a lot of stuff in my mind. As soon as I got on the court, it was all about pickleball. It was all about being a good partner to my teammate and having fun. And so, no, I didn't get a medal. I didn't crush the competition or dominate <laughs> or anything. I made a lot of new friends who are now watching my posts and going, these people are crazy. You're a woman. And I, 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 I'm happy to continue competing against you. I had an incredible time and it wasn't about winning or losing. It was just about pickleball. All right. And you mentioned earlier, uh, the previous podcast you appeared on was the pickleball happy hour. That leads me to believe that pickleball is something you can play drunk. Am I right? <laughs> you know it. You know it. Okay. So it is a lot like curling. Then. I, now I'm, I'm just uh, associating it with curling in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not as great after a, a margarita or two, but I'll still do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a very fun and inclusive sport. And I always kind of, really when I first heard about pickleball, I thought that it was something that the elderly did the way like shuffleboard exists uh, in elderly communities. But it seems to have really expanded and it's become a much better, bigger thing over what the last decade or so i i don't know how long it's even been around so I've been, it's been around since 1965 and i've been playing for two years and in the two years that i've been playing the evolution of this sport has been exponential it is now the fastest growing sport in the world and i've been to two uh florida side tournaments and in both of them i got to see 19 year olds and and the younger generation playing this and this is a serious sport now yeah it used to be a little different a little slower a little softer paced but now you see these these younger generations coming in taking it very serious and it is highly athletic now and the 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 people coming in there there's tall athletes like with huge wingspans who are hitting hard and fast and it's amazing to watch the evolution of the sport grow. And I'm just, I'm really grateful to be part of it. However, someone sees me fitting into it. Best of luck with the rest of your pickleball career. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing a bit of your story with me today. Happy to, anytime. Thank you for having me. I mentioned Castor Semenya, who became the center of a huge controversy about a decade ago as a middle distance runner from South Africa. 
I was mistaken about a few of the details. One, she won two Olympic gold medals in the 800 meters and did much better than the bronze I thought she had earned. And two, she's an intersex woman, assigned female at birth with XY chromosomes. Hers is a pretty interesting story and I encourage people to look it up. It very much shows how difficult it is to start policing sports based on hormones, testosterone levels, and genitalia. But to be clear, I think a lot of this debate is not about sports, or competition, or some kind of imagined advantage. Since I recorded this episode with Sarah, I saw a bit of an online storm over the presumed gender of a Jeopardy contestant. I don't know whether or not she's transgender, I watched the episode, it never occurred to me, but the tone of the hysteria was more about Jeopardy going woke by allowing the people who qualified for the show to appear on the show. And that's what a lot of this is about, I don't know. Maybe we're going to soon see Kid Rock taking his machine gun to his home tabletop Jeopardy game and giving the finger to Ken Jennings. I'm joking, of course, Kid Rock absolutely does not own a home version of Jeopardy. Or maybe one hopes we can get past this insanity, start to trust the science and embrace the diversity that surrounds us all. Thanks to Sarah Weiss for sharing her story on Mindful here today, and thanks to you for listening, reviewing, downloading, and streaming today's episode. Mindful is written, hosted, and published by me, Eric Bowman. It's edited and produced by Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. <laughs>